The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit MorningstarDayton.org. fired up. I don't know about you. If not, they want to check your heart. I don't know. That was a great time this morning. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 1 in the New Testament, right after the Gospels. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. Uh, if you're, it should be easy to define a word, right? Like if you want to know the meaning of a word, you should be able just to go to a dictionary and open it up and, and read the word, read the, the, what it says, and then know what that word means, right? I mean, that's just common sense. But apparently it's not that easy. I realized this yesterday when I was watching the Ohio State football game. Um, OH? Okay, we have a couple. This is really sad. There's not many more <laughs> fans in here. But hey, I don't know. How many of you guys watched the game yesterday? Okay, so a few of the brave souls have watched it. So as I was watching the game, I was, um, one, I had a lot of observations about how they could do things better, uh, but the coaches didn't call me, so I just was yelling at the TV. So anyway, but that's okay. Uh, but apparently when you watch the game, I was watching this game, and I realized how difficult defining a word can really be. If you look at the word, like ever watch the football game and listen to the commentators try to define what the word catch is? Anybody ever do that? Like it should be easy to define the word catch. Like somebody tosses something in the air and another person receives it without it hitting the ground. It should be that easy, pretty cut and dry, but apparently it's not. Like if you watch a football game, you will listen to commentators trip all over themselves trying to define what the word catch is is, right, and what it really is, and even with video illustrations, they have it, they'll stop it and play it again and stop it, and they'll have five people who say it was a catch, and five people say it wasn't a catch, and then you'll have a referee who goes and watches this screen for minutes, rewinding it and playing it again, rewinding and playing it again, watching from different angles to determine whether it was a catch or not. It's pretty difficult, right? So apparently, defining a word isn't always as easy as what I thought it was going to be, but what I'm talking about this morning is, okay, when it comes to missions, what does the word missions mean? Coming off of our trip to Guatemala, what, is this, what does this word missions really mean? Why is it important to know what it means? Is, it, is what we're doing right now as a church missions? Everything we're doing right now, would it really fall into line with how God defines missions? Is missions only what people do when they go overseas? See, sometimes defining a word is a little more difficult. Because everybody in this room this morning, we all come in here today with this different preconceived idea of when I say the word missions, we all kind of have a different idea of what that might mean. The trip we took last week was meant to expose our church to missions. A group from our church went down to Guatemala as your representatives to get a firsthand look at what missions is really all about. It really was a vision casting trip for our church. And you're going to get a chance to hear from them next week about everything that God did in their life and what they saw, what they experienced. And let me tell you right now, everybody who was on that trip came back changed. They're different. I don't know if you've talked to any of them this morning, but if you have, chances are they steered whatever you were talking about to something that happened on the trip. Get used to that happening, by the way, because it's not going to stop because they're different. I encouraged you, if you go back and look at when we were building up to this trip, I encouraged you as a church to pray for those going on the mission trip. You guys remember me asking you when we were, before we would take the offering every Sunday, I would say, hey, be praying for our group that's going down there that God would wreck their hearts. 
that God would impact their lives, that God would just totally impact those going on the trip. And guess what? He did just that. And I couldn't wait for this trip. I couldn't wait to get down there because I couldn't wait for God to show up and do what I knew God was going to do. I couldn't wait for God to impact the people on that trip like I know that God could only impact them. I can, I can stand up here every Sunday from here 20 years from now talking about missions, but it doesn't have the same effect until you go and until you see it and until you do it, until you go and stand side by side with a missionary or with a local pastor who's raised up from that culture and you share in their burdens and you share in their struggles and you hear their loneliness, you hear what God's doing, you hear the good and the bad, you hear everything and you go and you get your hands dirty with them, something changes in you. And I knew that. And I couldn't wait for us to get on that trip. And I even, I even warned this church. I warned the church. I said, don't go on this trip unless you're, ready for God, God, unless you're ready for God to just wreck you. We met right over here on a Sunday morning after church, and I was giving out information about those who were interested in the trip. And I said, don't go on this trip unless you understand that God's going to break you on this trip. So those of you that went, you were warned. That's not my fault, Okay. But missions, what is it? Can't tell this morning, I'm fired up. I'm excited. And I just want to take a few minutes this morning and go to the word of God and say, hey, how is this all set up? What is God's idea? It's always a good idea to find out God's idea, right? Um, you can quote that. Anyway, so Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We've heard this before. We've talked about this before. This is we call this part of the Great Commission. You can find it also in, at the end of, in, in Matthew chapter 28, but it says this. Jesus says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Background to this passage, so you kind of know where we're at. Jesus has already been crucified. They buried him. He rose again Sunday morning, and he spent the next 40 days walking and talking and hanging out with his followers, and now they're standing on the side of a mountain, and Jesus is getting ready to go back up to heaven, and his followers are standing there, and right before Jesus ascends back to heaven, he gives them this mission, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he goes back to heaven. He leaves him with this command and this mission. It's a command. It's not an idea. It's not just something to think over. It's not a philosophy. It's not a program. It's a command. And I wanna, I'm going to give you the three points right up front, okay? And then we're just going to unpack them so you can walk out if you want to after I give you the three points. But here they are about this passage. Number one, he says, you will be. You will be. Look at your, look at your Bible, Acts chapter 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be, in the, in the Greek, that phrase, you will be, here's what it means, to be something for someone. Jesus in the Greek, and, and he's speaking, it's to be something for someone. He says you will be something for someone. In other words, you're going to be on a mission for someone. You're going to be called out to be something on behalf of someone else, and the someone the something is on mission. The someone is Christ. He says, you will be something for someone. You will be on mission for someone. So you will be. The second thing is my witnesses. He says, my witnesses. You will be something for someone. And the someone, Jesus says, is me. It's Christ. It's me. You're going to be something. You're going to be on mission for me. 
on mission for me. Um, and he says, witnesses. What does it mean, witness? What, what are you talking about? Basically, what that means is tell what you know. If you got called into the court of law to testify as a witness, all they make you swear to is the facts, right? They don't want your opinion. They don't want to know what you think about the whole thing. In fact, if you try to start giving an opinion, somebody's going to stand up and yell objection. Because all they want is the facts. They want you to tell what you know, 100%. What do you know? So Jesus says, you're going to be something for someone. That something is you're going to be on mission. The someone is me, and you're going to be my witness. All you're going to do is tell what you know. You're going to tell what you know. Well, what do you know? If Christ is in you, his spirit bears witness with our spirit. And what we know is once we were lost and now we're found. Once we were dead and now we're alive. Once we were on our way to hell, now we're on our way to heaven and, and eternity with God because of what Jesus did for us, my witness. He says, you're going to be something to, for someone and my witness. And then he tells them where? Location. He gives them some area. He says, in Jerusalem. Now, why would he say Jerusalem? They were standing in Jerusalem. <laughs> they were on a mountain in Jerusalem, on the side of a hill in Jerusalem. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be something for someone, which is my witness for me, telling what you know where. Where are you standing right now? You're standing in Jerusalem. So where are you? Where are you? Some of you on Sunday afternoons after church, um, you like to go out to eat. My family, usually we go grab McDonald's and go home and we just crash, right? Because we're just so wore out. Some of you like to go eat. Maybe you go to Texas Roadhouse after church today, okay? It's because they got the, the rolls and the butter, which you really don't need the, the rolls. You just need the butter. You can just lick it right off the knife because it's so amazing, right? But here's the deal. If you go and you go eat right after church today and you go and you sit down at Texas Roadhouse, guess what? That's where you are. Shocking, I know. That's where you are. When Jesus said, you're going to be my witness, some, something for someone, and my witness telling what you know, and he tells them a location, it's just, where are you right now? When you go to work on Monday, or some of you, because you're off tomorrow, you go to work on Tuesday, and you walk in, and there's a receptionist sitting there that you see every morning. They know your name, and you know their name. Maybe there's a security guard if you work in a secure building, and then you say hi to them every day, and it's just this surface level. Guess what? That's where you are. That's your Jerusalem. When your neighbor's outside mowing the grass and you come home and you walk in, they stop the lawnmower to talk to you and you're like, I just want to hear them get inside. That's your Jerusalem. That's where you are. Does that make sense? He's talking to a group of people on the side of a mountain and he says, you're going to be something for someone. You're going to be on mission for me, telling what you know. And you're going to start right where you're at, your Jerusalem. Then he says, you're Judea and Samaria. The place is just outside of your reach. Wherever you are, that's your Jerusalem. But what about the places just outside of your reach? How do we do that? We do that by church planning. We raise up someone from in our church and we say, we've called you out to go and plant a church in Judea, Samaria, just outside of our reach because we can't be everywhere. So Judea, Samaria is, think, just outside of your reach. Where are you going to plant a church? Where can we put a church that's just outside of our reach, that's outside of our Jerusalem, but doesn't stop us from reaching our Jerusalem, right? That's still ongoing, but now how do we reach those just outside of our Jerusalem? And then he says this, he says, and to the end of the earth, where you never imagined. And we do that by foreign missions. That's foreign missions. The end of the earth, outside of just beyond your reach. Judea and Samaria, the end of the earth, that's an extension of us. So we have this mandate as individuals that Jesus gives to the individuals on the side of that mountain that day. 
You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be something for someone. If someone's me, that something is on mission, and you're going to tell what you know, and you're going to start where you're at, but it doesn't end there. You have a responsibility for those just outside of your reach, and you have a responsibility for the end of the earth. So you've got to figure out how you're going to do that. So we can't just stop at our Jerusalem because then what about the people just outside of our reach? And we can't just focus on those just outside of our reach if we're not focusing on our Jerusalem. You guys tracking so far? There's so much in that one verse, isn't there? But let's go even further back than that. God's original creation, Adam and Eve, were created sinless and perfect in their place um, in the Garden of Eden. And they were told to be fruitful and, mur- and multiply, to birth into this perfect creation Children who would be born in a perfect relationship with God. Do you realize that if Adam and Eve would have had children before they sinned, that those children would have also been born in a perfect relationship with God? No separation. No sin nature. But when Adam and Eve fell and they took the fruit that they weren't supposed to take, the Bible says as just like through one man sin entered into the world, then death by sin, for all have sinned. The moment they ate, everybody born now was born in separation from God. Because of our sin, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, they fell, and they broke that perfect fellowship, not just for themselves, but for everyone who would be born. So the mission of God did not begin with the Great Commission in Acts 1-8 or Matthew 28. Did you know that? God's mission for buying back people, for making things right, did not start there. It started all the way back. It's a theme running throughout the entire Bible because mission is the work of God. It's rooted in God's desire to bring people back, to reconcile sinful humanity to himself. And in the Old Testament, it's amazing if you look at it. In the Old Testament, God set up this this method of bringing people to himself, and he used what we call the centripetal method. Think back to your physics class, all right? In high school, centripetal is force that pulls in. It pulls in. God wanted to draw man towards Jerusalem, and he wanted to use Israel to do that. God calls out one man named Abraham, and he tells him, the sole purpose for me calling you out is to bless you to draw the world to me. Genesis 12, 3, God tells Abraham, and I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then in Genesis 22, God says uh, how exactly this mission is supposed to work. God says this, and in your seed, In other words, your descendants shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So the deal is God makes Abraham and his descendants into a great nation for the purpose of being a blessing to other nations. Other nations are blessed in the fact that the very behavior of Israel would draw them to want to also have what they have. See, God's plan was, I'm going to set Israel up, and what I want you to do is I want you to obey me. And then in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God gives them all these different standards to live by. And we're like, why would God do that? Because God wanted them to be so different from everyone around them. And when they obeyed God, he was able to pour out his blessings upon them to make other nations look and go, wow, they're different. They live different. They act different. And they're blessed. And it's amazing. I want to know more about that centripetal. God wanted to draw man's focus in. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, God says, Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And they struggled with that plan, the Israelites did. And, and until the time of David and Solomon, Solomon would be like the, the, the beginning of Solomon's reign in Israel was like the glory days of this. It's actually when it was actually working like it was supposed to. 
Solomon was super wealthy. He was full of all wisdom. He followed after God. Rulers from all over the world came. They wanted to find out why Israel was becoming so powerful so fast. Why Israel was becoming so wealthy so fast. And they wanted to see what the source of that was. And it was working really well. But in the same lifetime of Solomon, he turned after other gods. And he went the other way. And Israel closed in. They stopped obeying again. And they stopped following God again. They became selfish and self-centered, worshiping other gods and really, in essence, really just worshiping themselves. And then in Jonah, we get this passage in Jonah. It's the only time in the Old Testament that God sent a prophet specifically to a Gentile nation to preach repentance. Only time that God sent someone out to go preach repentance. And when Jonah, remember, he balked at it at first. He didn't want to go. And so this whole thing happened. He got thrown overboard. The fish swallowed him up. Jonah repents. He goes back and he goes to Nineveh. He preaches. And the whole city gives their life to God. They all repent. And Jonah should be like, that's awesome. My God is so graceful. And he's so merciful. And he's so amazing. But he pouted. And he was mad. He's like, God, why would you save this wicked people? And he was so angry. In fact, he became suicidal. He was so angry. But God withheld his judgment on Nineveh that showed that his compassion and mercy had been available to all the nations, even the worst nations around. And Jonah, in essence, was a representation of the heart of Israel at that time. God wanted to use them to draw people to him, but instead they closed off. So then Jesus comes. And God moved the method of missions away from a nation trying to draw the world to himself and instead sent people out into the world to bring the gospel to the world. In the Old Testament, God used a centripetal, drawing inward. But now since Jesus, God uses centrifugal, pushing out. Think uh, merry-go-round, right? And the mean people pushing you on as fast as they can, you falling off and you go flying, right? That's, that's centrifugal. You're going out, Okay. God moved from going in and he wanted to go out. And when Jesus came, because he paid the penalty for all time, for all mankind, God wanted that message going out. And so he sends us out. And God started with the disciples in Jerusalem and he sent them to the world to take the gospel to the nations. Even Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, that he will bring hope and justice to the Gentiles. Then in Matthew 24, Jesus tells his disciples that the gospel will be preached to all nations being the clearest indication that the mission is now reversed. The method, excuse me, the message is the same. God wanting to buy back humanity to himself, but now God's sending them out. The New Testament moves away from centripetal to centrifugal. And with the coming of the Savior, now the mode is to send out and preach the good news to all nations. Jesus takes the place of Jerusalem because now when we give our life to Christ, he dwells in us. We don't have to go to a place because the power of Christ is inside of us. And he says, you'll be my witness to tell what you know, and we're able to do that because we know who's in us. So when Jesus is standing on the hillside, and he says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell what you know. Well, we get scared. Well, how do I know what I know? You know because who you know is inside you. Who you know lives in you. And Jesus says, that's why you're going to be a witness to me. And the idea that God no longer is waiting for nations to come to him in the right time, the right place, God came to the nations, as we found in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave. He sent his only begotten son. He came to us. And now the commission takes a deeper and more appreciable meaning 
when Christ sends his followers into the nation. So that brings us back to our passage in Acts. Jesus is gone. He ascends to heaven. He gives them that charge, the mission. He goes to heaven, and his disciples are all staring up into heaven. They're gazing. It's a long time. They're staring up in there like they're either in awe or fear. We don't know, but they're standing up there so much so that angels have to come in verse 10. And it says, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white robes stood by them, and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Why are you standing look up into heaven? There's no lost people on this mountainside with you right now. It's all believers. You were giving a job to do. Why are you staring up into heaven? Why are you waiting? It's time to go. You have to get off the mountain. You've got to go do something. And then we see in verse 14, it says, all these were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They're united in prayer. They're praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. And just a few days later, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, and thousands of people give their life to Christ. It's powerful. And the church of Jerusalem gets started, and then all of a sudden, these other churches start being planted in Israel, one after another. And it reaches so far up as north as Antioch, and they're faithful in reaching their Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But now the time has come to reach the ends of the earth. So God gets a hold of a man named Saul who's traveling on behalf of the Pharisees, and he's killing Christians, and he's arresting them, and he's just uh, tormenting them and it was, when he walked around with his arrest papers. And God gets a hold of him, and he changes his name to Paul, and he uses him to reach the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 26, Paul gives an account to King Agrippa. He's actually in court, <laughs> standing before a king, and he gives his testimony. Tell what you know, right? And he's telling Agrippa of how he came to know Christ and what happened. And here's Paul's account of that in Acts chapter 26, verse 14. It says, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand to your feet, for I have appeared for you for this purpose. Now get this. I want you to get it because it's very similar to what Jesus told his disciples on the side of that mountain. Get this. To appoint you as a servant and witness. What's a witness? Tell what you know. To the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people. And from the Gentiles, to whom, get this, I am sending you. You shall be something for someone. The someone is Christ. The something is on mission. And Jesus says, you're going to be a witness. You're going to tell what you know. And you're going to be on mission. You're going to be my servant. And you're going to go do this. I'm going to send you to do what? To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. Paul breaks this down. This verse was quoted this morning. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's for unbelievers. And we use that. If you've ever led somebody to the Lord and walked them through what that looks like, you've probably used that verse. Whoever calls upon him, it's open for everyone. If you just call upon the Lord, you'll be saved. That's for unbelievers. But the next part of that is for us. Get this, Here's what, this is where it gets hard. He says, but how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? 
How can they call upon the Lord when they don't believe in the Lord? And how are they to believe of whom, in Him of whom they've never heard? So how can they call if they don't believe? And how can they believe if they never hear about Him? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now Paul walks at it backwards. It's a cultural thing for him, and that's why he's laying out that way. So let me lay it out for us in our Western mind a little bit. Here's what he's saying. We are sent to preach or proclaim so that they can hear because hearing leads to belief. Belief leads to surrender, and surrender equals salvation. I want you to get what Paul's saying. We're sent. You and I are no less sent than those disciples standing on the mountainside that day. We're sent to proclaim, to tell what we know so they can hear. Because hearing leads to believing. Believing leads to surrendering. Surrender equals salvation. The mission was focused on churches being planted and then those churches planting new churches. We find that in Acts 13, 39, 1 Thessalonians 1, 8, Acts 19, 20, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. These new church plants ensured not only the spread of the gospel, but also the discipleship and spiritual growth of new believers in Christ. And Paul was sent out from the churches in Jerusalem and Antioch to plant churches in distant countries. I want you to catch this. This is important. Paul was sent out from specific churches who knew him, who prayed for him, who laid hands on him, and who sent him out as a representative, as an extension of their Jerusalem. Does that make sense? Individual, local churches called out Paul and others, laid hands on them. They knew them. They sent them out with a mission. We're sending you to our Judea Samaria because we can't be there and to the ends of the earth. Look at this, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. In the local church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius the Cyrenian, Manian, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, you need to underline this in your Bible and mark it. Here's the deal. They sent them off. The church in Antioch and Jerusalem sent them off. They knew them. They had a relationship with them. And they were sending them on mission to be a part of their Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. Local church. Paul went on three different missionary journeys where he planted a church in every city that he went to that had one goal, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then those churches supported Paul and his efforts and began to send out their own missionaries and their own church planters. Then Paul would come back and report to the churches in Antioch and Jerusalem, and they would pray for him and rejoice in all that God was doing. Look in Acts chapter 14, verse 21. After they had evangelized that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the hearts of the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Look in verse 26 of Acts chapter 14. From there they sailed back to Antioch, 
where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work they had completed. Did you catch that? They went back to their sending church where they had been trusted with this mission. And then verse 27, after they arrived and gathered the church together, what did they do? They reported everything God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a considerable time with the disciples. It's an amazing plan that God had set up. A church gets planted, that church grows, raises up other leaders to go out and plant churches and reach a Judea, Samaria. They raise up missionaries to send out to the ends of the earth. Those people that are sent out are an extension of that local church. They come back and they will report everything that God is doing and be able to say, hey, can you pray for us about this? Can, we, can you help us out with this? We need money to do this or we need prayer to do this. Here's some people we really want to come and know faith in Jesus Christ. Can you come alongside us and be a part of this that's going on? We know your name. We know what you're going through. We know the struggles. We know we sent you out. There's a difference in how that happens and how a lot of churches do it today. And yet, these churches, the way they did it, changed the world and turned it upside down for Christ. So you might be sitting there going, okay, John, like, what are you saying? <laughs> What's the point? The point is, are we being obedient in missions? You can't help but go on a trip like that. Work alongside some indigenous pastors that you can't even speak their language, by the way but hear their heart through a translator and work alongside some local missionaries. Stay at the bedside of someone who gives their life to Christ and not come back asking that question. Are we being obedient? The New Testament, the Bible lays out a very specific model for missions that literally turn the world upside down. So what are we doing? I think a lot of times the church here in the West, we get focused on humanitarian aid, on relief trips, which don't get me wrong, they're important. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus and go and serve. That's, that's one thing, but that's not a missions trip. We can go down and feed poor people all day long in Honduras, but if it's not tied to a local New Testament church that's giving them the gospel, that's a relief trip. That's not a missions trip. If we're not raising up people from our own church and challenging our young people and our old people alike, maybe God's calling you to be a church planner. Maybe God's calling you to go out of this church as a missionary. We're not being obedient. We're just as guilty as the Israelites in the Old Testament, closing off. Us four, no more. Are we being missional? And are we on mission? Can we honestly look at what we're doing right now as a church and say our missions looks like anything like it did in the New Testament? That's a tough question, isn't it? It's a hard word to define. When was the last time a foreign missionary was sent out of Morningstar? I mean, raised up, laid hands on, and sent out to a foreign country to go to our ends of the earth. When's the last time they've come and stood on this platform and shared in the struggles that they have, the victories they've seen, and beg for us to continue to working and walking alongside them? When I came last year, Morningstar did not support any foreign missionaries. 
We do now. And you're going to get to hear from him at the end of this month. Right now, we send our money to the Southern Baptist Convention, which is an amazing organization and does amazing things. And they take that money and they divide it up to their national church planning organization and then to the International Missions Board. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Don't call out, but just answer it in your own heart. How many of you here this morning can put a name and a face to one of them, one foreign missionary? Not just you, I heard their name. I'm talking about you know them. You know them. Some of you can. But as a church, can we all? Can everybody in this room this morning think of one name? How many of you can think of a missionary right now and you know exactly what they're struggling? You know right now, for a fact, what they're dealing with right now. A need that they have that's so great and so strong. They, they need prayer warriors around the world praying for them where you can lift them up by name and you can know their face. How many of you guys can say, I know this missionary, put a name and say, I've been with them, I've worked alongside them, I've got my hands dirty with them, I've cried with them, I've prayed with them, I've laughed and rejoiced with them. How many of us can say we know anybody like that? Or is it just a faceless thing that we have? We support the Southern Baptist Convention and some of that money goes towards their, the IMB and they're doing amazing things. And I'm not telling you, don't start thinking, well, oh my, John's pulling us out of the SBC. I'm not, I'm not. What I'm saying is, are we doing enough? Because it's really easy for you to give your tithes and offerings into the offering plate because you know Morningstar is going to give some of that money to the Southern Baptist Convention on your behalf. That's going to then get divided into those different things. But where's your personal step of faith in it? Where's our missionary? I'm just going with what the New Testament says. I'm just going with how God set it up. I'm just asking a question. Where's the personal responsibility for our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? We love the SBC. They do amazing things, and we, there's a lot of benefits to be a part of it. And they're, they're sending out missionaries all over the world, but who's ours? Who are we raising up and challenging and sending out? Because what happens is the trap we fall into when we just blindly give money, I call it the blind give, we just blindly give our money, what happens is it also ties our heart with that, that they're going to take care of my witnessing for me. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, you will be my witness, telling what you know in your Jerusalem. And what happens is sometimes we give our money, oh, that organization will take care of it, and we neglect our Jerusalem. And our Jerusalem really is your Jerusalem, and it's my Jerusalem. It's wherever I happen to be at that moment in time. It's wherever you happen to be at that moment in time. Because there's those that went on this trip who now realize that blindly giving money is not being obedient. It causes a false sense of security. We just give our money and check the box, but that's not the model given in the Bible. Either we follow this or we don't, right? Either we say we believe the Bible or we don't. When we do the blind give, it eases our conscience, but it does not satisfy the calling in our life. We don't reach those around us. 
We don't have others among us called out to be sent out. And here's what has to happen. We have to move past the gift of salvation and move on to the responsibility of salvation. The gift of salvation happens that moment of salvation. We give our life to Christ and our life has changed and our eternity has changed. But there's got to be a time where we grow up and we move past the gift of salvation and start to understand the weight of responsibility of the plan and the gift of salvation. We've got to go from understanding the gift to understanding the responsibility of it. And Jesus that day, when he was looking at those men on the side of that hill, those men and women, he says, you will be my witnesses. That was an individual mandate, by the way. He was talking to individuals on that mountainside. And this church is made up of a group of believers. And this group of believers right now, we all have that individual mandate, so it becomes a corporate mandate. But we have an individual mandate. I have to reach my Jerusalem, you've got to reach your Jerusalem. And then we come together and we send out those to reach our Judea, Samaria, and our ends of the earth. What I'm saying is change is coming. Because a sleeping giant has been awakened this past week and it refuses to go back to sleep. And my goal is to continue taking these trips and getting as many of our church on the field to see what it looks like to be the witness. Because those that went on this trip, you're going to hear their heart next week, and every single one of them have now been emboldened to be the witness in their Jerusalem. And there's a little fire in them to be the witness in the extension of sending out others to be the witness in our Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. I refuse, I refuse to be the quiet little church in quaint Washington Township, Ohio. I want to be that dangerous church with the lion of the tribe of Judah roaring through it. That's how we change our Jerusalem. And that's, how it, that's how we change the world. In John's Revelation, there's a reference to every people, tribe, language, and nations being present around the throne of God, worshiping him as the chosen people. You find it in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7. While the book of Revelation is a book about end times and the return of Christ, it also tells the story of how God's mission will end with his glory and that all nations of the earth indeed are blessed and all the nations of the earth are represented among those worshiping him for eternity. The point is God's plan will come to pass. The question is, will Morningstar be obedient and have a part to play in it? What tribes and groups of people will be represented around the throne that day that we had a direct impact in? Not that we blindly gave money to, but that we raised up and we sent out. We challenged and we laid hands on and we said, they're our missionary. They're our church planner. They're going to reach beyond our reach and then we're going to send out others to go reach the ends of the earth. And the churches that get planted, they plant more churches. And the collective group is able to do even more for the kingdom of God. If you don't get anything else this morning, I need you to get this. We are missions. We don't do missions. We are missions. Church, let me have you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed.
Do you think that was a little difficult to listen to? You just wait till next week. I held back a little bit today because I didn't want to steal everybody's thunder for next week. Church, what are we doing? We have become so comfortable in just giving money to blindly give money so other people can do our job on our behalf. And because of it, the church of God has just fallen asleep. Because we're not challenging others to follow suit. We're not challenging others to rise up. We're not challenging others to live on mission. Who's next? That should be our, that should be our motto moving forward. Who's next? Who's going to step up next? Who's going to go out and plant a church? Who's going to go out and surrender life to ministry? Who's going to go out and surrender life to full-time missions? Who's next? constantly looking to disciple people and grow them and mentor them and encourage them and challenge them to step up and say, God has so much more for me than what I could ever even imagine for myself. And I want to do something, be a part of something greater than myself. And how can I do that? What better way to do that than to give the hope and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ where we're at, but also around the world? Are we being obedient to what God has called us to do? you're going to be able to hear at the end of this month from one of our foreign missionaries and also from one of our stateside missionaries. And it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's going to challenge us. It's going to stretch us. It's going to take our time as we all find someone to invest in and mentor and disciple so that they can find God's true purpose for their life. For some of you, it might stretch you because he might be calling you. No, 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 I'm, I'm too old. No, you're not. We met some missionaries this past week that in their retirement years, they gave up everything and moved down to Guatemala and they're making a huge impact in the eternities of other people. I'm too young. No, you're not. God's going to use you. And Morningstar, we're going to be a sending church. We're going to be a multiplying church. We're going to be a mission-focused church. Not just to go feed people. Not just to go build houses. To bring the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ into a lost and dying world. Are you going to be part of it? Are you next? This morning, in just a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. I'm just going to invite you just to, wherever you're at, wherever you're standing, just to pray and ask God, God, give us wisdom. Fill me with the vision you want for Morningstar as we move forward. Pray with alongside me that God will call out the next person to be sent out. And don't forget that it might just be you. Are you willing? Are you surrendered? You can come forward and pray. You can pray right there where you're seated. Judea, our Jerusalem, just beyond our region of the end of the world.
morning. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your truth and your word. God, we thank you that you're still calling people out. We saw it this past week. You're not done saving people. You're not done raising people up. You're not done challenging people with the message and the gospel. You're not done calling people to ministry, to missions. But God, we want to be a part of it. Our church, we want to be a part of it. We know there's people you have brought to our church for the sole purpose to be sent out. It's not about how big our church can get. It's how big our reach can be. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit MorningstarDayton.org and choose Contact Us.